hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 68, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? Pretty good, Brennan. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I am looking forward to volume 11 of Listener Stories. Yes, it, finally. Yes, it is after all October, and October is Listener Stories Month. Which is the best month of the year. I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's like our Christmas, really. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, although we do have another special surprise for Christmas, but we'll we'll talk about that when we... Uh, actually, we'll talk about that at the end of the month. Ah, there we go. But I uh, know we've got a bunch of Listener Stories. I'm very excited to get to those. And uh, before we do, however, I have, um, I guess, a, a status report. Okay. So I have a new fixture in my house. You do. Thanks to you. Yes. Uh, something I never, ever thought I'd say. I know. I have a bidet in my house. You do. You bought me a bidet. I did. And not like one of those 1970s, 1980s separate appliance bidets that you would see in like weird old hotels. This is the kind that like straps on your existing toilet. Not crazy about the use of the word straps, but continue. Oh, Jesus. Um, and it was recommended to me by somebody else who right. I have a lot of respect for her. And she said, I'm like, really, though? Like, it's kind of weird. And she's like, would you work all day in the garden, come in, wipe your hands on paper towel, and go, ah, good enough, and then spend the rest of your day with dirty hands? And I'm like, well, no. She's like, so why are you doing that to your butt? Okay. Well, I certainly had never thought about it that way. I hadn't either, but... Okay, so there you go. And how are you finding it? Do you like it? Well, I'm still getting used to it. It's a bit of a shock. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I said to Nikki, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to be in the bathroom installing this bidet thing. Because she was not totally sold on it. No, and she texted me. Yes. Yeah. First off, I, I got it I got it set up, and, that, and I thought, well, I wonder if it really works. So I just was kind of kneeling in front of it, having hooked it all up. <laughs> and I turned it on. And no, yeah, no, it sprayed quite a bit. So oh, yes. No, it works well. And then you're like, there's no way it's going to find my, whoa. That is 1,000% what happened. That yes. was a journey that I went yes. on. And I believe Nikki texted you that I was laughing. Hysterically. Yes, because it was like the icy finger of death had gone up my ass. It, it's upsetting. Yes, upsetting is a good word. Yeah, but it really is great. And I'm appreciative to Brianna for telling me about it. I got to say, though, I did not know. Like, I actually thought all bidets were like the separate one. Right. Me too, actually. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had used one of those in Spain once about 10, 11 years ago. Right. That was pretty great. Yeah. But yeah, I was not aware that there was a sort of like cyborg add-on. <laughs> and we have kind of the mid-range one. There are more expensive ones that have like, you plug them in and they do hot water. See, now Nikki asked me if this one had hot water. I said no. no. And she said, well, what's the point? Well, no, the, the point is that it takes so long, apparently, for the water to heat up. Right. That you're you're kind of like out of the bathroom by that point. Like, there's no <laughs> point. I just kind of feel like given the situation that like the planet is in and things like this, yep. I don't probably need to draw more power right. for the box that heats up the water that fires at my ass. I just right? feel like it's, it's probably a little bit Storm the Winter Palace even for Brent. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like it. All right. Well, as we mentioned, this is episode 68, Listener Stories, volume 11. 
And we have uh, such a wide range of stuff. We actually had listener stories going all the way back to June. And even though this month is all listener stories, I don't think we're going to even come close to catching up. I, I told you. You were like, oh, I don't know if we'll have enough. I'm like, oh, we'll have enough. We have enough. So we yeah. may even be doing one more episode before the end of the year. Nice. Just to, yeah, yeah. Because there's, again, people send us so many great stories. And yeah. I want to make sure we get as many of them on the show as possible. And we also have an amazing musical guest. Do we ever? Which I've actually heard of, and I listen to his music. Yes, we are so both. So it's a first. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the October is, uh, we have a, a single musical guest all month. October is, not only is it Halloween, it is Vampire Stepdad Month yes. here on Ghostory Guys. And Vampire Stepdad is a synthwave artist out of Atlanta. Both Ian and I are huge, huge fans of his. He just released his newest album, The Sun Also Sets, about a month and a half ago. I own a physical copy and a digital download. Huge fan. Uh, his album, Love Bites, is probably one of my, if it's not my favorite album of all time, it's two or three. Wow. Love Bites, I think, is an extraordinary piece of work. Nice. It's just fantastic. And actually, you and I did a little bit of voice work for him. We did. It never made it to the sort of the, the final stages. Probably was, because of our voice work. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Fair, <laughs> fair. Up until the sun also sets, he started his albums with a uh, a little audio drama called Thursday at seven. Yeah. And he was going to do that for sun also sets, but then ultimately decided that he, the project didn't, it didn't really work tonally. And right. he, and he was right. I mean, yeah. sun also sets is a brilliant album and sure. I mean, I do love Thursday at seven and I would love the idea of being on a VSD record, but being able to hear the album as a whole, uh, and we won't be hearing a track from that today. We'll be playing that on a later show, but, uh, I think it just works perfectly as is so if you got to be cut from a record that's a pretty good one to be cut absolutely. from absolutely we're like those guys who are almost in titanic <laughs> it's like oh well if i'd made the cut I, this is the scene i would have been in i would have been in the background of that scene <laughs> yes so on this episode we're going to be playing the song the first date and that's from his love bites ep you can find more from vampire stepdad at vampirestepdad.com and, of course, on all the major streaming platforms. But make sure to check out VampireStepdad.com. He's got some fantastic merch, some enamel pins, some stickers, and, of course, hard copies of all his albums. And one last thing on Vampire Stepdad. We talked about doing the big, uh, our 500,000 giveaway on this episode. But Ian and I realized we always do the Halloween giveaway. So why not mix those two things together? And so what we're going to be doing is, at the end of this episode, we're going to announce all the prizes... And then on the Halloween episode, which is not the next episode, but the one following, we will draw for all those prizes. But for now, let's get to it. Coming up after the break, Listener Stories, Volume 11. we said before the break this episode indeed this entire month is all listener stories stories from you guys 
And what we've done is we've mixed some newer submissions in with some older ones. So we're getting a nice mix of then and now. So you guys don't think that we're just dicks and we're ignoring you. <laughs> I mean, we are dicks. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, completely. But we're not heartless. That. Yeah, we're not heartless. <laughs> we're garden variety dicks. Yeah, we're not monsters. No. Well, well, uh, yeah, it's open to debate. But anyways, <laughs> moving on, let's get right to the stories. This story comes from Rowan. I'll preface this with something which may or may not be in any way related, but it seems worthy of mentioning. About a year or two ago, I had a dream in which I was at my family's cabin in northern Idaho. This is not an uncommon location for my dreams. In fact, many of the most vivid and memorable dreams I've had take place here, and it's a location associated with many good memories. However, in this dream, I was being stalked by an anthropomorphic fox creature who instilled abject fear in me and chased me all about the property and beyond. I do not remember how the dream concluded, except that I was able to deter it in some way. This year, over the summer, I was at this cabin, the dream forgotten, and I was meditating. It was going well. I was quite deep into the state between dreaming and waking when I saw the fox man, his canine face far too wide. He gave me the most sickening, sinister smile. It freaked me out and broke my focus and also brought back the memory of that dream. A Native American shaman acquaintance of mine advised me that this was likely a spirit he called Old Man Coyote and that he did not necessarily mean me harm, but it still scared the shit out of me. That smile. I have no idea if this has anything to do with my next encounter, but they happened the same day. Later that day I was walking in the woods as I often do. The sun was setting, and it was twilight, a time I'd normally spend back at the cabin with my family helping out with dinner or something. I was experimenting with this hagstone, or Odin stone, I'd found on the coast earlier this year. This is a stone with a natural hole in it, and according to folklore is supposed to grant the second sight when looking through the hole, like a miniature portal to the other world. Anyways, I was looking through the hole, and I saw what looked like a black pair of pants, or as I thought at the time, the gondola meme, but all black. And Rowan is included in an image here, it kind of looks like a pair of pants with eyes, and it stepped behind the tree as soon as I looked at it, and it was gone. Like I say, this probably has nothing to do with the dream before, because I felt no malice from this guy, and my intuition told me he was just a forest spirit, which seems consistent with the stories in this podcast. And Rowan, that actually sounds really similar to both my experience in Revelstoke and to Gus's experience in Texas. Remember, they saw the, the large legs. Oh, right. the uh, Over the tent, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. It's kind of fascinating that this is yet another instance of that. It's mm -hmm. kind of like when we, uh, we had the, the imp on the show. Yes. We talked about the Tahunga imp. And then the story started popping up all over the place. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, and the interesting thing was people were saying, oh, I thought it was crazy. But now that I've heard it and, you know, and then we got three or four of those stories from people saying, oh, I thought it was just me. Yeah. So no. that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's certainly not just you. I, I don't know what the hell it is. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Rowan. Um, it's kind of fascinating too, that the Northern Idaho thing, I've never been to Northern Idaho. I've been to sort of middle Idaho and had very weird experience there in the Payette National Forest. And that one was uh, just, I remember I was driving through there by myself and I think I ended up staying in the town of Council, Idaho, but it was just creepy. It was one of those roads where the, the trees seem to be reaching for you. Yeah. You know, driving it all alone. And I've been in Northern Idaho and driving through it. It is beautiful, but it, there's something about it. You are definitely not in your own neighborhood anymore. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Well, I remember uh, my friends uh, who is a, I shouldn't say a friend, but I, I knew some people whose parents owned land near Priest River. And they used to talk about white supremacist compounds being raided yeah. down the road. You know, they, I remember them telling yeah. me a story about playing in the woods one night. These these teenage girls, they were kind of running around the trees. And all of a sudden, this SWAT team in ghillie suits come up and said, you need to get the fuck out of here right now. Oh, my gosh. Because they were raiding a compound. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's not good. So, I mean, it's it sounds like a lot of strange energy up there. Yeah. Well, again, thanks, Rowan, so much for sharing that with us. Uh, one more thing too, before we go on to the next story, mm -hmm. I wanted to say that when you do send us a story, we will often uh, truncate it or edit it for air, just sort of so we can get as many stories in as possible. Just in case you hear your story and you think, hang on, I didn't phrase it quite like that. <laughs> uh, we, we just, sometimes we will edit them just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Our next story is from Hannah. I usually don't tell people about my experiences because I just want to be seen as normal. Also, I try not to talk out loud about the bad ones as it seems to lure them, and I have enough problems of throwing those guys into the mix. It honestly makes me nervous to share with you, but I think this could be fun. When I was a teenager, I slept on a bunk bed with my sister. I was on the bottom bunk and she was on the top. My bed was up against a wall on the left side, the right side open to the room. The fire alarm was next to my bed, and at night it cast a subtle green glow on the floor. One night, around 1 a.m., I woke up with no clue as to why. I was wide awake with no sign of sleep in sight, so I opened my eyes. There, floating above the floor in that eerie green glow, was a woman with long, dark, curly hair and pale skin. She had on a flowing white dress and was looking up towards the ceilings. She was as clear as day and super detailed. I could make out her toes and the pretty satin piping on the dress. Terrified, my stomach in knots, I jerked backwards towards the wall and squeezed my eyes shut. My heart was pounding. After a few terrifying moments, I pried my eyes back open, and she was gone. The next night, around 1 a.m., I woke up the same way, and she was back. This kept happening every night at 1 a.m. for the next two, almost three weeks. Now, I've always slept on my right side. So every time she woke me, I was facing her, which meant I always saw her and it always scared me. It took me an hour or more to fall asleep after she woke me up. And it was a never a deep sleep, more of a fitful light sleep riddled with anxiety and dread. I got the feeling she enjoyed scaring me, that this was funny to her, which honestly made me angry. What kind of a person scares a 14-year-old girl for fun? She was such a pain and a total brat. And after a while, I didn't dread going to sleep. I just expected her to wake me up eventually. I started to train myself to ignore my fear and anxiety when she woke me. And I would keep my eyes closed, then slowly turn over to face the wall. Then I would open my eyes and peek over my shoulder and she would be gone. I felt she was disappointed when scaring me stopped working. After about five more nights of me constantly turning over without opening my eyes, she stopped. I didn't tell my parents about any of this, though I don't know why. Since then, I've had other experiences. I'm not psychic, I'm just a normal person with a job and worries who just happens to notice too much. My experiences have made me empathetic and somehow more skeptical. I think that's pretty true for you and me too. I mean, I think we were both uh, more open and more skeptical than we were when we started. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot more patterns I see in these stories now. And I think that helps you kind of figure out what's more authentic 
and, right. and what might be more the product of, a, of an imagination. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting too, the, the green light thing, because that's very similar to a story we had on our haunted healthcare episode. Right. There, the uh, x-ray tech, I think she was, would go into the x-ray room because it was pitch black and she could sleep there. And then one time she woke up and there was this green glow and I think, a, I want to say a woman stepped out of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and a, there was a story from Revelstoke that I don't think it made it into the book. I think I found it out afterwards, but a father and son were driving south of town and they saw what looked like a helicopter, but shrouded in green light and mist. Oh, wow. And it, Not cool. No, it was just above their car, maybe 30, 40 feet above the car, but it wasn't disturbing the trees. Hmm. And they had no context for it. They wouldn't even tell me who they were. Wow. It, this was done through anonymous email exchange. Amazing. Yeah. So it, the, the green thing, and, and actually too, I mean, in, in my book, a strange little place oh, available. Jesus. Everywhere fine books are sold. Um, Not true. No, that's actually very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's available in like four places in Canada and soon not <laughs> even that. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there was a story of a girl from Australia who was camping, I think in the Blue Mountains. And she lives in, or lived in Revelstoke for a while. And she saw what she thought was a comet hurtling towards the campsite. Right. Oh, that would be upsetting. She thought she was going to die. She closed her eyes. She braced for impact. She felt it hit the ground and she felt like a wave of energy go through her, but nothing happened. She was screaming and her friend said, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? Right. There was no explosion, no nothing. No wow. one else had seen it or felt it. Wow. So there's something to this green Thank you so much for sending that in, Hannah. We appreciate you uh, taking the time and the risk to share that story with us because it's pretty great. This next story comes from Joshua, and it's more a, a story of a, a little bit about his own town, which he calls his own strange little place, and that is Red Boiling Springs, Tennessee, and I, I kind of love that name. Joshua says, I realize the name Red Boiling Springs sounds a little dark, but it refers to one of the several different natural mineral springs that converge in town. Back when the town was founded, the water that travels right through the center would turn red due to the reaction of the high amounts of sulfur and magnesium and other minerals feeding it. Because of this, the town became a high-end resort town that had presidents, governors, and celebrities visiting regularly at the turn of the 20th century. Once the notion that mineral water will cure anything became debunked and the craze died out, the town's economy collapsed. What happens to a resort town that no one wants to stay at anymore? Well, visit it today and you'll find out. In the late 1960s, it began to flood. The flood destroyed the historic downtown area with parts of town under recorded 9 to 12 feet of water within a matter of about 12 hours. The town never quite bounced back after that. The oldest hotel still remaining is what is now called the Thomas House, originally the Cloyd Hotel. It is well known for being haunted and has had several paranormal TV shows feature it. A young girl named Sarah Cloyd is said to have died there, and reports of seeing a small girl in a dress in and around room 37 are very common. Another ghost is seen walking the grounds occasionally and also throughout the halls. I have several, and I mean multitudes, of personal stories and experiences from growing up in that tiny town. The town also sits above a massive cave system, with cave entrances scattered throughout the woods and hills nearby. I don't know of a single person who hasn't had an experience of some sort while living in the town, and some even believe the town may be cursed due to the history of unexplained events, natural disasters, and fires that have plagued it over the last couple of hundred years. I don't buy into the curse theory, but do believe the town isn't the picturesque rural community it is perceived to be. Thank you for sharing that with us, Joshua. I mean, it's Red Boiling Springs sounds like a fascinating place. And again, I've only really been through Tennessee very quickly while uh, going other places, but I'm, I'm very curious to see it sometime. Actually, this kind of sounds like dairy from it. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure, spoiler alert, in the end of the book, at least, once it is destroyed, there is a huge, huge storm and it destroys a lot, a big part of the town. 
Right. Yeah, that doesn't happen in the movie. Oh, of course. No. So maybe sometime in the 1960s, someone put the hurt down on uh, Space Alien underneath Red Boiling Springs. That just makes the most sense. Yep. Well, we've, <laughs> we've solved the mystery of your town, Joshua. You're welcome. <laughs> but if you still want to send us the uh, any of your stories that have happened there, we'd, we'd love to hear them. Absolutely. Our next story comes from Talia. I just started listening to the podcast recently and was hooked from my first listen. I just finished the episode about French ghosts, and it reminded me of an experience I had working as an au pair in Paris. The family I worked for lived in a large apartment in the Madeleine Quarter, on the second floor of an authentic Haussmann-era building, and they owned an apartment on the top floor that they used to house their au pairs. The room was fitted with modern fixtures, but it was small and obviously old. It was just big enough for a twin bed, sink, and microwave, and to get to it, you had to climb up an old, winding wooden staircase with peeling paint and dim lights. I felt surprisingly creeped out by it the moment I walked in, and not just because it was a much worse shape than I had imagined. The whole floor had a shared toilet and was filled with apartments like these, most of them populated by students, but originally these rooms were built to house the maids and the help who served the richer families on the lower floors. My space was situated between two apartments, one that housed a loud young guy and his girlfriend who had frequent parties, and the other on the right that was much quieter. During my first few weeks living there, I heard noises coming from the quieter apartment, like someone tinkering around and going about their daily business. I never saw the resident of that apartment, but I figured we had opposite schedules that made us miss each other in the hallway and bathroom. After a few weeks, my host family said that they hoped I was feeling comfortable despite my room's minuscule size. They said they'd tried to buy the apartment to the right of me, the quieter one, the previous year, in order to knock down the dividing wall, but had given up the idea because the asking price rose too high to justify it. They then told me that the apartment had remained empty since then, and that they were going to try to ask the landlord about purchasing it again, because they figured that the length of time it had spent on the market would drive down the price. I was baffled, because I'd been hearing someone in that supposedly vacant room since I moved in, but didn't mention these noises to them because I didn't want to come across as crazy. I asked them whether they were sure it was empty, and whether they knew if work was being done to it or anything like that. They reaffirmed that it was indeed vacant, and that the landlord hadn't touched the place since the last tenant left. I mostly stopped hearing noises in the room after that, but I thought about it frequently and never felt fully comfortable in my room. Yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable in my room either after that. Well, and these buildings are so, so old. Like, they have generational families living there with generational landlords. I don't know that I would ever completely get over that, being up there by myself at night. You know what I mean? Oh, no, like, no, 100%. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Well, that, that happened in my apartment. You know, when we first moved in in 2011, we heard some really, really, really intense banging upstairs. Right. And I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, like, what the fuck are they doing up there? Because we're talking some intense banging. Like, yeah. And then I ran into the landlord and she said, oh, you know, we're, we're finally getting someone upstairs. And now I, I I was a little unclear as to whether the person had already been in there right when the noise was happening, but the person living above us is 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 quite an elderly lady, and she's been it's been her the whole time. Wow! So I don't know what the hell was making that noise, hmm. but it's it's an unsettling thing. It is. It really is, especially when you have no idea what's going on. 
And that used to happen to me a lot at Bocce's actually when I lived above the store. Right. I would not banging, but uh, well, actually sometimes banging. Yeah. I, I would hear noise and voices and footsteps and sometimes like clunking downstairs. <laughs> yeah. And I would say to my bosses in the morning, cause they would hang out and drink beers after work sometime. Yeah. I'd say, man, you know, you guys are here late. I heard you walking around at two in the morning and they'd say, nope. We left as soon as we shut the place down. Uh, uh, and you're like, I did not want to know that. No, I really didn't. <laughs> because my stairwell went down through the back of the store. Right. Of course. So it didn't go through the back, but my, I had a, there was a door that opened between my stairwell and the back of the, right. uh, of the store. So there was only a very thin door separating oh. me from whatever horrors lay beyond. <laughs> Actually, um, I, I don't know how much I'm supposed to say of this. While you were telling that story, I was over here monkeying around with my phone. And that's because we got a story in from someone. Uh, they, they sent it to me via Twitter. Oh. And I can't say who it is, but I, I'm just going to read it here really quick. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. Talk about timing, right? Yeah. This person says, somewhere between, I'd guess, five and ten times in the past couple of weeks or so, I keep thinking that I'm seeing a cat out of the corner of my eye. Most of the time that wouldn't bother me because my roommate has a cat that he mainly keeps in his room, but sometimes it comes slinking out. But I'm talking about thinking I'm seeing it when it's not there and always out of the corner of my eye and it's not the same cat. The cat I'm seeing is skinny and gray and white, not fat and dark gray like my roommate's cat. So naturally I've just been thinking it's been tricks of the eye or whatever and 99% sure of course that's the case. But tonight I got a good look at it and it walked up to be let out when I was letting the dogs out like it was just doing its normal thing. And it doesn't quite look like a normal cat. It was all stretched out and thin and transparent. And then as soon as I saw it, it was gone. It's been a long, long time since me or my partner thought anything weird was going on in the house. And I'd really just like to let it go. But this freaked me right out to the point where I'm all jumpy and telling myself it was all in my head. There's more, but there's personal details I can't divulge. But it reminds me of my friends. They live in a fourth floor apartment. And they both saw at different times this ginger cat out of the corner of their eye in the hallway. And they do not and never have had a ginger cat. Wow. And again, they're on the fourth floor. There's no access point for another cat. There's no nothing. It's just there and then it's gone. That's crazy. Right? This story comes from Raven. So after hearing the dream episode, I've been wanting to shoot you guys an email, but was unsure because I didn't know if you were looking for stories or not. And let me tell you, Raven, anyone listening, we're always looking for stories. Always. The first story I have for you guys was an out-of-body experience I had that I was confirmed by my poor friend. One time in middle school, I didn't go to class because my mom didn't feel well enough to drive, and any public transportation in my area wouldn't be able to get me there on time. I was alright with this and went back to bed. I dreamed, and during that dream I had a kind of floating feeling, but didn't think anything of it simply because a lot of weird and often horrifying things happened in my dreams. Oddly enough, this wasn't one of them. I dreamed I was simply in my normal spot in my middle school building, reading a book, and then the dream cut off. The next day, my friend came over and asked me why I wasn't in school for the rest of the day. She had seen me in my normal spot reading a book and tried to talk to me, but I wasn't very responsive. She went off to do something, was gone for less than a minute, and when she came back, I'd vanished. When I told her I hadn't gone to school that day, she was shocked. This next dream, I can't tell if it's paranormal or not. It felt very real and very scary. I had to call my therapist as soon as I woke up because I couldn't stop shaking. In this dream, it was a sunny day, and I was a five-year-old Native American boy playing with four or five other kids in a trailer. We were in a living room connected to a kitchen, the two rooms separated by a kind of island with wooden bars. I don't know what they're called, I just know it's for decoration. The living room had a couple chairs, a stool, and brown carpet. The kitchen had a table with some dirty plates and cheap napkins, and gray countertops with some bottles on it. 
As I said, I was a little Native American boy and I remember playing with another girl and a couple of other boys while an elderly person sat in a chair. There were a man and woman by the kitchen island. All the adults seemed sad, which I thought was odd because it was supposed to be a party. Here's where things get chaotic and scary. The woman calls out, Okay kids, time to shake the alcohol. The other kids and I were really excited and rushed to get the bottles on the counter and went back to the living room to shake them, like how people shake wine bottles to make the tops pop off. These bottle tops popped off and anywhere that liquid touched was on fire. My bottle hadn't opened and I was scared because there was fire and screaming and I had no idea where the adults were. One of the kids was burning on the ground while another was running around on fire. Then I saw one of the other boys looking just as scared as me, his bottle open. He then fell to the ground dead, his lower half completely on fire. What scares me is I could clearly see he had green eyes and short black hair, and he continued to stare at me with a horrified look on his face. His was the only face I clearly saw. That's when I woke up. I'm not Native American. I'm a 23-year-old girl that is so white people should probably look away when I'm out in sunlight. My only connection to Native American culture is that one of my distant family members once married someone of that descent. I would also like to add it isn't odd for me to switch gender, age, or race in my dreams. This, however, was the most realistic and violent one I have had, and I have had enough experiences with dreams to know this just wasn't a normal nightmare. So thank you for sharing that one with us, Raven. Dreams are fascinating to me because I don't understand them. Well, there's just so many ways they can go. That's it. You know, I mean, I, I've had a lot of very vivid dreams recently, mm-hmm. but they seem pretty clearly, uh, I don't know if allegorical would be the right term. Right, but right. Like you can kind of figure them out. Yeah. There's, there's clearly a, a sort of, what do you call it? Like a subconscious message yeah. embedded in them. But this particular dream, I'm not so sure. Have you had precognitive dreams, a dream that you would say predicted something that happened in your life? I don't really dream. Really? <laughs> no. It's the weirdest thing. For someone who's so good at interpreting other I people's know. dreams. I know. I really don't dream very often at all. And precognitively, no. I've had people tell me I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, and I can tell you what the outcome is most likely going to be. Right. Um, but that's not you know, in a dream state. So yeah, I don't know why. Just never been a big dreamer. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. I, the only one I can think of off the top of my head was the uh, the LA one where right. I dreamed that I was in the dream. I approached two police cars in Los Angeles. At this point, I'd never been there. And these two cops said, no, you got to get going. There's a gang war up ahead. And then a whole bunch of other crazy shit happened. Yeah. And uh, of course, my very first visit to LA, what happened? I mm-hmm. approached two officers on a bridge and they told me, no, you got to get out of here because there's a shooter up on that freeway. Yeah. And I mean, the rest of the dream bore no resemblance to uh, to what happened after that. But but it was impending danger. Yeah, that's it. I had a dream when I was a kid. I remember very clearly um, of my little brother dying in a snowsuit in a, in a sewer. And I was with him. We were both down there for some reason. And the water was very slushy, like frozen. Right. And I couldn't save him. And I woke up. So upset that, and I mean, we used to torment each other, like, oh my God, we were so horrible to each other. But um, the rest of that year, I was so nice to him. He must have thought I was planning to kill him or something because I was so (laughs) nice to him. But that feeling of loss in my dream just was so impactful. Really? Yeah, yeah. And he is still alive and well and everything's fine. Well, but thank you. That, that's good. I'm just telling you, that was one of my most vivid dreams. So if I want you to get to be nice to me, I have to somehow pretend to die. Yeah. All right. All and right. Then and only then. A plan is forming. <laughs> Raven part two. This happened to me when I was younger. I can't remember if I was in elementary or middle school back then. One day I was riding the bus. 
and on my route there were a few abandoned buildings. I was looking out the window for a moment and saw in the upstairs of one of those buildings a girl in an old-fashioned nightgown brushing her hair and looking out. I turned to the kid next to me and told them what I saw and asked if they knew anything about that house. The kid was a couple grades younger than me and told me that it was her sister who burnt alive in that house, which obviously wasn't true. About a week passes and I'm up late one night because I'm a born night owl and that hasn't changed. I looked out the window for no particular reason and saw the ghost girl again. I thought it was cool, but then her head turned into a fucking skull. I got up and went to the living room to tell my mom, who didn't believe me, thanks mom, and I slept in the living room that night. I don't know why the ghost appeared to me like that. I had never had a ghost or anything else follow me home. It's just weird. Lastly, I will finish off with my shadow people experiences. They're nothing horrific, but as a 12 to 13 year old, I did find them rather annoying. During middle school, I would look out the window and see quite a few of them just hanging out watching the school. I know they weren't shadows of the trees simply because they're a lot of the time they would be hiding like stalkers, really. At that age, I had heard a story about how one followed this kid home and just went straight up poltergeist. So whenever I saw them, I did my best to send vibes to them to basically say, you're not welcome here. Stay away. I totally get that because that is the exact same thing I did my first three years in the ghost walk lair. Oh, really? Just sort of like an ethereal back off, get your own sandwich? 100%. Right. A couple of the other guides, one in particular, he really wanted to see something and would almost like try and call them out. Like not in a mean way, but you know. You know, show yourself to me, prove you're here, make a noise. Oh, yeah, because um, they listen. Yes, but I was the absolute opposite of that. Please stay away. I don't want any problems with you. I'm here. You're here. Let's just coexist. Uh, I've noticed this year I haven't done it as much. So either I'm getting braver or I'm just used to the energy. Probably it's like, probably the latter. Yeah, I'm not getting it, any yeah. braver. No, yeah. no, no, no. Come on. You and I are both cowards. Nothing's exactly. going to change that. Exactly. Embrace the coward within. Mind you, we spent uh, an evening in a very haunted place. We did. And we even got to experience something weird. We did. Yeah. Uh, although first off, thank you again, Raven, for those stories. Yes. Thank you, Raven. We're working on putting together a new website. And so we decided we needed uh, a publicity shot of me and Ian together as opposed to, you know, the... The book shots. Yeah, the book yeah. shots. Yeah. And so we we booked a room in this fantastic location and we booked a photographer and kind of did the whole bit. And now we both know this location. I'm not going to say where it is, but it is in a notoriously haunted part of town. And it is a notoriously haunted building. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They've actually done investigations there. Yes. And it's funny because we didn't go there for that reason. Not even a little. That's the best part. I, so I think we were looking for a venue and I just kind of got looked for that place because it just popped into my head. It had the perfect kind of 70s-esque. Kind of sleazy vibe. Well, sleazy but glamorous. Kind of nice Fate, faded but not. Glamour. Faded glamour. Much yeah. like ourselves. Like ourselves. We were, were we ever glamorous though? Uh, No. Anyways, so we, we booked this place. We went there for the shoot. And as we were doing our thing, you know, looking handsome, I kept seeing things move out of the corner of my eye. Uh, I kind of thought, oh, I'm just imagining it because I know this place is meant to be haunted. Right. But then the room filled up or the part of the room filled up with a mist. The upper part got really dark and grainy. Yeah. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. So there was definitely something there checking us out. I didn't feel like it was bad or, you know meaning us any harm no 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 it just was kind of checking us out like oh what are you doing in here yeah but then a couple days later 
I was coming back from something in the house and my wife, Nikki, she said to me, she said, is there something burning? And the, the oven was not. And I said, no, why? And she said, well, behind you, it looks like there's smoke. Oh no. Yeah. And it, it literally dissipated in a matter of seconds once she saw it. Interesting. But it, yeah, it was like there was some kind of liquid sp- shadow people. I guess. Yeah. Gotta say, I'm not crazy about that. No. I thought I was done with all that shit. This story is from Amanda. I used to babysit for our family friends, Linda and Mark, who are so close, they're basically family. I've been to their house on the central coast about an hour from Sydney many times. And as their two children got older, I used to house sit for them when they took holidays and so on. On this particular occasion, I was house-minding with my young daughter, who was about three or four at the time. The house is a two-story place with a TV lounge room downstairs and the kitchen, dining, and other lounge room upstairs. As you come up the stairs, the kitchen is in front of you, and to your right is a lounge that faces the water. It was during the day that I came upstairs, went straight into the kitchen, and as I turned to face the bench, it was almost as though a veil had set around me, which... I felt as well as saw. It made everything sort of hazy, but still very clear. It did not inhibit my ability to see anything at all. I saw Linda's mother, Vilma, sitting on the lounge facing the water view. She did not turn to me or look at me at all, instead just sat at the end of the lounge looking out the glass doors. Vilma had died a few months before this experience, and it was the first time since she died that I was staying in the house without Linda, Mark, or their two children. I froze for a moment before saying out loud, They're not here, Vilma. We're minding the house for them. I was looking at her the whole time, but did not make any effort to move or anything. Instead, I just stayed standing in the kitchen. After a short amount of time, the veil had lifted and Vilma was no longer there. Describing this feeling as a veil seems stupid, but it's the closest thing I can use to describe that moment. It enveloped me, and I could not only see it, but feel it as well. Nothing else happened during that stay, and of course, when they all returned, I told Linda about what had happened. She was crying as I was telling her, but was so happy, and it confirmed her belief that her connection to her mother was still alive in some way. I love all things paranormal, but like you and Brennan, I'm only in it for the truth. I first try to explain things away so as not to get caught up in the hype of it, but this experience is definitely something that can't be explained. I'm fascinated by this stuff. You know, again, when when things like that line up and you get these multiple instances of the same phenomenon. You know what? It's funny. There are other people who wouldn't see it. You'd be in the same room with them and they wouldn't be able to see it. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> who knows, I think, is could be the second title to our podcast. Probably. The ghost story, guys. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us, Amanda. This story comes to us from Jane. In the early 90s, just after I left university, I went to stay with my mother at the home of her newly deceased best friend. My mother was the executrix of her friend's estate and I agreed to help her prepare the house for sale. The house was a large one-level ranch located on a private road and surrounded by woodlands. My mother had been living at the house for almost a year to help her friend, who had been battling stage 4 breast cancer with everyday household tasks and to feed and care for her many pets. One of the pets was a large cockatoo named Eddie. Eddie was smart and beautiful, but a bit of an asshole. His favorite pastime was to torture the large Doberman named Wookie. Eddie would wait for Wookie to be curled up uncomfortable, and then began calling his name, softly at first. Wookie, Wookie, here Wookie, good boy Wookie. When the dog would get up to find out who was calling him, Eddie would let loose a screeching laugh and break into his creepy head-bobbing, wing-waving dance. 
Eddie craved attention, and every time my mother's friend would come into the room, Eddie would go into his routine of going, Hi, Mommy. Eddie loves Mommy. Give Eddie a kiss, Mommy. And she would give Eddie a kiss on his beak. This was their thing. She loved Eddie and overlooked all of his asshole moves. She even continued to administer his requested kisses after he, in a fit of anger, ripped half her upper lip off, and the visiting veterinarian had to sew it back together for her. When asked how she could still give him kisses, she would say it wasn't his fault, but he'd acted out of anger because he didn't like the vet. I don't think I could have been so forgiving if he'd maimed me. She really did love that rotten bird. It had been about two weeks since the cremation of my mother's friend, and we had spent most of the day packing up clothes and household goods for the charity shop. We were so tired that after a bite to eat and feeding the animals, we decided to go to bed and resume our work early the next morning. I was drifting off to sleep, when all of a sudden I heard voices. It was definitely people talking, but it was more like they were mumbling. I couldn't make out what they were saying. It reminded me of when you're walking up to a house party, and you can hear the people inside, but can't understand what they're saying, because you aren't quite close enough to make out the individual voices and the door is closed. I was convinced other people were in the house. My heart began to race. I was certain we were going to be murdered in our beds. I sat up to try and hear better, hoping that something was close enough to use that I could defend us with. When my mother then rolls over and asks me, what's the matter? I whispered to her that I was hearing voices and people must have broken to the house. She then said with a sigh of relief, oh good, you can hear them too. I couldn't understand how she could be so calm. She went on to tell me that she began hearing them right after her friend's death and she only noticed them when everything was quiet. She'd tried almost every night to discover where their voices were coming from, but could never figure it out. She hadn't heard them the entire year she lived there, even when her friend was in hospital and she was alone. They'd only started right after her friend's death. I got out of bed, still convinced people were in the house, and spent about an hour walking the house, opening doors, looking under beds for intruders. I checked the pets, the appliances, everything, but got no answers. The next morning at breakfast, my mother and I were discussing what possibly could have caused the things we'd experienced, and what her friend would have thought about such eerie goings-on in her house. We started joking that it must be the ghost of her friend hanging around to make sure we were putting things in order to her standards. I suddenly felt cold, cold enough to pull my robe a bit tighter around me, and almost at the same moment my mother, standing at the sink filling the kettle, remarked that she felt a bit chilly. I opened my mouth to tell her that I was cold too when Eddie, who'd been quietly eating nuts on his perch, looks over at the other end of the table and then suddenly starts flapping his wings. He loudly squawked, Hi, Mommy. Eddie loves Mommy. Give Eddie a kiss, Mommy. I almost fell off my chair. My mother was visibly shaken. We spent another uneasy three days packing things up and making final arrangements for the house to be put on the market. And this is why we don't have pets that talk. I want to know what happened to Eddie. Uh, well, actually, I cut that bit out of the story. Uh, they gave Eddie away. I would have too. Yes. they. She said that they took care of the cats as they, as they promised. The other pets, they, they took them on, but they couldn't handle Eddie. Oh. And so Eddie was delivered unto someone else who was going to love him. Well, the problem is those guys can be so smart and incredibly stubborn. And honestly, once he maimed somebody, no, that would be the end of that. See, I was curious about that because I always sort of assumed it's just mimicry, you know, so who cares? 
but are they they're actually smart? They are actually very smart. Yeah, um, they've been shown to be able to figure out how to use tools. They can they can be very manipulative. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, it's not just mimicry. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting because I have experienced that not with, well, sometimes with voices. And it's always that. It's like you can hear the voices, but you can't quite make out what they're saying. I've never experienced it where you can, oh, they're talking about the weather. Like it's sort of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and music too. I've heard music coming from nowhere. And that's a little upsetting as well. This story is from Axel. As for my experiences with sprites, I've only had two I can clearly remember. Before I get into my first experience, I have to tell you that I get a real uneasy feeling when I look into a mirror in dim lighting, so normally I will turn my back to one before I turn on the light. Sometimes though I can't or won't do that. Sometimes, depending on the bathroom, I just have to face the mirror. On this particular occasion, the bathroom was being lit by my bedroom light, and when I looked in the mirror I saw a little girl run from one side of my bathtub to the other where the shower curtain had been. That is when my silly monkey brain took over and threw the light switch on and pulled the curtain back to see if the girl was there. Afterwards, I rolled my eyes at myself. The second experience, I'm not really sure if it was a sprite or shadow creature or what, but I walked into my room one evening, and for some reason, there was something blocking the light that came from my extension cord between my bed and desk. I looked at it for a minute or two, and it was like it just noticed me, because it ran at me. I jumped onto my bed, and for a good while, I was afraid to put my feet on the floor. Thank you very much for that, Axel. And I'm just going to say quickly that kind of reminds me of the imp stories that we, Ian and I were talking about earlier. This story comes from Leslie. In 1963, I was a mere toddler, playing under my father's big wooden throne of a chair in the living room. The chair was in the direct line of sight with a door that led from the living room into the small front foyer. It had glass panels, and my mother had covered it with a sheer, almost white curtain. Through it, you could see into the foyer, and then the street. Not clearly, but enough. Back in those days, friends and family would stop by unannounced all the time, so it was no surprise to me when I heard the heavy front door opening and then closing. I looked up from my playtime and watched the figure close the front door behind him. I say him because he had on a fedora, and it also appeared to have on a heavy winter coat. This could have been my grandfather, who wore clothes like that, and was still very much alive at the time. So, no reason to panic. But the shadowy figure looked flat, and almost sharp, like a one-dimensional cardboard cutout. The color was so dark and dense it looked like it could have been drawn with a black magic marker. I can still see it in my mind's eye as though this had happened only yesterday. My young mind began to understand that something was wrong when the figure just stood there. I sat looking and waiting for the visitor to open the door and come into the living room, but the figure never moved. I was certain it was looking at me. Finally unnerved, I crawled out from under my father's chair and ran to the kitchen to alert my parents who were both in there making dinner and talking. My announcement that Mommy, Uncle Tony is here caused them both to turn to me with looks of confusion on their faces, and they both moved to greet him. I should mention that I did have an Uncle Tony, but he never wore a hat like that, and I still wonder why I guessed him and not my grandfather. I followed behind my parents as we all moved into the living room and to the door to the foyer. This was a small, shotgun-style house, and the moment they came out of the kitchen, they could see the door to the foyer. I was confident that they'd handle everything and was ready to forget about it and return playing, when my parents opened the door and, of course, found the foyer completely empty. I can still see their faces as they turned to me, confused, eyes questioning. My father opened the front door to look outside for Tony, turning back to my mother with a shake of his head and a shrug. To their credit, they knew the house wasn't quite right, and just said things like, it's okay and don't worry about it, and went back to the kitchen. 
in the 20 years that we all lived in that house, there were many, many spooky things that went on in there. So thank you, Leslie, for that story. That was pretty cool. Yeah. It, it reminds me of that story I like to tell here of my friends from the town of Kamloops who will periodically see a man walk from one side of their living room to another just as though he's going to work. Right. He's just like a man. He's not, you know, he's not trying to be spooky. He just goes from one side to the other. And that part of their house, once upon a time, was the street. It's funny you say that because uh, Ma Miller's Pub uh, by Goldstream Park here in um, Victoria. Sure. Was moved. Oh, no way. Across the street. Yeah. Many, many years ago, the whole pub was picked up and carried across the street so they could build the provincial park. And they placed it directly on the road between Victoria and a town called Leechtown. And Leechtown was a major deal around here. It was a quite a big settlement. It was a mining town, um, a bit of a gold rush town. And um, what they get in there is, as I say, it's literally on the path. Um, they oftentimes have a guy apparently dressed in buckskins with the fringe, the whole deal. Right. And he'll walk in. And he'll sit down, and he looks so real. The waitresses grab menus, and they go over there. Really? And there's no one there. He always sits in the same section in the original part of the pub by the old fireplace. But when they go over there, there's nobody there. But there's no way to leave. Of course. Being seen. Holy shit. Yeah. So, And he's not trying to be creepy or ghostly. or He's just a dude looking to grab a burger, as far as anyone can tell. Wow. Isn't that wild? It really is. Yeah. The, the Leechtown connection interests me too, because I remember um, a couple of years ago, I became obsessed with getting to Leechtown. Did you ever go? Yeah. I We actually uh, walked from the far end of Suit Campground all the way out there. Oh my God. How it's long did that take? A while. A couple hours. Because you can go up through the Suit potholes apparently. Yeah. That's where we went. Oh. Yeah. You, we, we went to the very far, the very back. The very of, last parking lot. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. the campground. And we, we actually had to buy a camp spot for the night <laughs> in order to be able to park back there. But yeah, and then we walked up and it was, I don't know, I, I can't explain it. I just had this weird feeling like I should go to the old city. That I, all, I kept hearing that in my head, go to the old city. Right. And then coincidentally, someone mentioned Leechtown to me. But I kept trying to get out there via uh, Google Maps. Right. And it kept trying to lead me down all these bizarre, unpaved uh, logging roads. Right, of course. And of course, and you can't actually get there doing that. No. So that's what eventually someone told me about the potholes. I was trying to get you as close as it could. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, I don't know. It was a, we never actually saw the ruins, but it's an interesting place. You never got to see the ruins? No. Oh, damn. That'd I, be my whole purpose for going. That was absolutely my whole purpose for oh. going. Oh. Yeah, you're going to get me out in the goddamn woods. You better show me something. Well, maybe we should put together a little ghost story guys field trip and, and see if there's other people around here who want to go and we'll all go out there i'd do that oh a team hike that sounds exciting no that sounds like an awful awful friday afternoon <laughs> in youth group but i would totally do it to see the ruins in Leechtown. or here how about this you guys go take pictures email them to me that would be just as good in my books uh, do you want better listeners head on out to Leechtown. <laughs> take some pictures <laughs> send them to uncle brennan ian <laughs> I would like to see it though, but I think I, I fear now the seasons have changed enough that I don't want to be hiking around out there in the I've, well, my opinion, rainy dark. My opinion on the woods is well known. I, yes. I will not be heading back out there. Well, I'm not going alone. Yeah. Oh no. No. There was actually a really fascinating quality to be that place because it's where the, I, I can't remember. There's some trail that begins out there. 
and it just has this ragged, wild quality to it. I can believe it. I think it would probably be a lot like Barkerville. I've never same energy. I've never been up there. What? No, never. How can you be from the interior and never go to Barkerville? I, well, Anthony asks me that all the time. And the answer is easily. I just didn't go. Wow. I lived in the damn woods outside of Barkerville for two weeks. (laughs) And that's not a story I particularly care to revisit on this show. A hellish part of my life that we is better off less than left in the past. I'm really glad I went to Barkerville. I only went for the first time about three years ago, but then I'm not from here. Right. Um, Two years ago. Yes. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I love the history that's there. It has a very distinct kind of dead end energy. Right. But there's a lot going on there when they pulled those buildings together. Oof. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Anthony, I think he's back now from his trip to Barkerville. And I'm always curious to hear what he's picked up. I'm sure with Anthony, we could do a whole episode on Barkerville. Oh, I'm sure we could. And Wells. Uh, Wells. <laughs> Again, that's, let's not go back to that part of my life. <laughs> Our last story is from Brian. Though this isn't a ghost story in the strictest of terms, I think it falls well within the realm of the supernatural. This story takes place when I was eight years old and living in rural Wisconsin. Almost all the memories I have from this time in my life have faded, fragmented, and softened with time except this one. And though this story begins with a dream, what happened afterwards, 45 years later, still maintains a vivid, razor-sharp edge that invokes enough anxiety that I rarely speak of it. The Dream The dream takes place in my house, a house that was exactly as my house was in waking reality. A single-story ranch house with the kitchen, living room, and bedrooms on one floor, and a basement containing a pantry, my dad's workshop, and a small family room. The only difference between the two was the sculpture that stood by the basement door. The sculpture was a quarter-inch thick brass cut out of a figure. The figure resembled an Egyptian hieroglyph of a man, one foot stepping forward and his arms at his side. The sculpture, approximately two and a half feet tall, and in the dream, I hated the thing. It looked more like a tacky trinket that you would buy from the gift shop of a King Tut exhibit than the menacing entity that I saw it as. In my dream, my parents kept asking me to get them things from the basement, food from the pantry, tools from Dad's workshop. Each time I had to go past the sculpture of the metal man to get to the stairs. I hated having to pass by the metal figure, though it didn't move. I felt a malevolence emanating from it. It scared me to death, and as I passed it, I would spit at it strike at it, or give it wide berth. In the dream, my parents told me to go to bed, which I did. Not in the dream, I woke up. As I woke up, I realized that I was sitting up in bed, my right arm extended. It was morning. There was light in the room. As I opened my eyes, I could see the metal man from the dream. He was standing on my bed, in between my legs, pulling hard on my right arm. I have never before or since been more terrified. I tried to scream for my mom, but nothing but a choked, dusky rasp came out of my mouth. I could feel the man's metal hands around my wrist. The pull he exerted was constant and determined, and I felt like he was trying to drag me towards the open closet just past the foot of my bed. His face was expressionless. He didn't make a sound, and the more he pulled, the more frightened I became. I started throwing myself back violently, and suddenly I let go. I fell back into the bed and covered my head, still unable to scream. Hyperventilating under the covers, I laid as still as I possibly could. It seemed like an eternity, 
but finally I heard the familiar creak of my parents' bed as they got up. I suppose you could hear this and pass it off as sleep paralysis, but I had not experienced anything like sleep paralysis before or since. You would also be well within reason to think the entire event was just a dream, but I've never before or since had a dream follow me into wakefulness, ever. That sounds straight out of a horror movie. Oh. Or that those Doctor Who things. The, yes. The, whatever the hell they're called, they, they only move when you're not looking at yes. them. Yes. Yeah, the angels. Yeah, yeah. that's it. You know, I kind of relate to this story. My grandparents had quite a large home in England, and we would go and visit them. And on the corner of the stairs, the stairs went up, and then they turned and went up to the next level. And on that landing was a grandmother clock. And on top of the grandmother clock was a woodcut of, uh, of a, a German man with the hat and the pipe, completely made out of wood. And it scared the living crap out of me. Really? I was three, four years old. Um, it scared me so bad. I wouldn't walk past it. I would make my mom or my grandparents walk with me if I had to go up or down the stairs. It scared me so bad. Um, and when my grandparents died, my dad, uh, flew over to England and said, is there anything you want from the house? And I said, yes, the scary man. And he now lives at my house. Really? Yes. And it just doesn't scare you anymore? It doesn't really scare me anymore. I don't know what it was. I think it was more something to do with what was in the house and my little child mind fixated on that because it made me uncomfortable or it was weird looking or it was different. Um, and maybe that's what happened. But, uh, yeah, I mean, even back then I remember being a little kid and being very, very sensitive to things of a spiritual nature right? and knowing that other people couldn't see them. Um, I learned very early on to keep my mouth shut. Right. Um, of course. Yeah. But this thing scared not the, well enough though. Really. Well, no, apparently not. But this thing scared the crap out of me like hmm. big time. So it was sort of a full circle healing moment to uh, get him from my grandparents' house and have him in my house. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll take a picture of it for you and, and send it to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And as for Brian's story, I mean, I, I kind of want to know what happened to the sculpture eventually. Me too. Yeah, that's one of those, those sort of um, details you really want to know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It, like, is it going to appear behind me while I'm <laughs> peeing one night, you know? <laughs> I don't have I had sleep paralysis. Not really. I've never had it. It sounds goddamn awful. It does sound awful. I've never had it. I hope I never do. But, yeah. Um, I have babysat a kid with night terrors. Oh Jesus! And that was awful. I oh, you, the kid genuinely thought he was going to die. Really? Yeah. And I couldn't wake him up. It oh. was just awful. He was screaming, flailing. Um, they're going to get me. They're going to get me. Please help oh me, help me, help God. me. And I couldn't wake him up and he's screaming and I'm looking at his little brother who's in the same room and I'm like, what do I do? And he's like, oh yeah, this happens every night. Jesus like, wow. H Christ. Little heads up would have been good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks guys. Yeah. I didn't babysit for them again. I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't think I'd have babysat. Cause it was scary too, right? Like it scared me. Well, sure. And it felt very dark. Children are very scary dark. enough as it is. They are. Now, did you sense anything at the time? I don't know if I did or if I was just terrified about what was happening to this kid. Right. I definitely felt like something bad was happening. So as an adult now in that situation, even though now I know exactly what was happening psychologically, I don't know. Would I pick up on something bad that was trying to scare this kid? Maybe. 
I would think probably, to be honest with you, this kid wasn't like super young. He was like six or seven. Right. So, um, yeah, I just don't care for it. <laughs> no. I remember a friend of mine, he's I think six foot four or something, or six foot five. He's yeah. A very big, tall guy. And when he was younger, probably in his mid to late 20s, he would have night terrors. And apparently he would just rip apart his room. Oh, no. And you can show me giant shadow creatures. Yeah. And things that you think are demons and not one of them is as scary to me as the idea of a six foot six man rampaging around his room, <laughs> ripping shit apart. Uh, no kidding. It's like a hurricane made of knuckles and yep. it's coming for you. Yeah, exactly. And you would not want to get in the way of that. That was it for our first batch of listener stories. That was some really great stuff in there. Yeah. And as I said, we have a lot more lined up for the rest of October. So I, I again, can't, mind you, I'm in no hurry. These things take long enough to finish, but <laughs> I can't wait to finally get to them when we get to them. Cause Absolutely. I, I don't necessarily look at all the emails as they come in. I kind of read them a little bit later. Right. And so this has been a trip for me to see all these stories just lining up. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really great stuff. And if you have a story to share, send it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We'll love to hear it. Uh, we'll always write you back. We'll always read it. Ian will at least. And I'll, I'll read it later. <laughs> but yeah, we'd love to hear your stories, especially if they pertain to things we've talked about on the show. Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's nice for people to know that others have had similar experiences. And that they're not alone. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. That's, uh, I think, the, the best thing we can do for people on the show 100%. is show them that, yeah, no, you're not alone. I mean, we don't have any answers. Nope. Don't ever think we have answers, but no. we can be here and let you know that, yeah, there's more people out there like you than you ever thought possible. We are here to share the experience. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, patron shout outs and listener mail. As always, thanks to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their help on this episode and everything else we do. We mm -hmm. certainly couldn't do the show without you. Nope. Luke has been uh, really under the weather. I know. You know really bad flu, it the sounds poor like. guy. So, Luke, if you're out, well, you, I know you listen. Feel better, you big bastard. Feel better. Not just because I need more work from you, but because I genuinely, as a human, just want you not to be sick. <laughs> but the work thing is part of it. Yeah, well, yeah. for sure. Yeah. First things first. It's time for our patron shoutouts. As always, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Kim Moser, of course, of the Booze and Bourbon podcast, Catherine Bird, Megan Austin, Derwood Fisher, Nicole Rideau, Shauna, BJ Welch, Asia McIntosh, Corinne Fox, Shelley Hopkins, Jessica Dumphy, Emma Barheit, Karen, and Tanner Johnson. Thank you so much for your support, guys. We just couldn't do this without you. We really couldn't. We were listing off all the things we've been able to do only because of Patreon support. And it all just goes right back into the show. And we just really appreciate your kindness and your generosity and your willingness to come on this journey with us. Yeah, because ultimately that's what this is. I mean, neither of us have really have any idea what the hell we're doing. Nope. 
All we know is that we love doing it, and we're just going to keep pushing this thing as far as it'll take us. And we love you guys, and this is such a great way for all of us to be able to do something together like this. Yeah, absolutely. It's It really is a community thing. So thank you so much for your support, and even for listening. Even if you, you aren't able to support via Patreon, I understand. I've been there. Hell, I'm still there sometimes. So I get it. And don't think that you need to support the show to be valued. We appreciate that you just listen. But if you do want to check out the Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. There you'll find we have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20 and $50 levels. The perks start at five that gets you ad free episodes, access to our monthly Luke lore episode where Luke does a deep dive into the folklore topic of his choice. That gets you access to our monthly cabin fever episodes, which is just sort of a hangout where me and Ian talk about all the things that don't fit into the regular show anymore. And at the $10 level, you get access to things like the monthly live show, which we just did tonight back at my house, where, yeah, Ian and I just hang out with you guys. You can interact with us. We do a live video stream. You poor bastards. You have to look at us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we take your questions, talk about what's going on. It's just, again, f- sort of 45 minutes of shooting the breeze and seeing what comes out. Somehow on this most recent installment, we ended up talking about our shitty grandmothers. <laughs> so. And I was going to say, you know, as, as people who give to us on, on Patreon, um, you certainly don't have to, but just like the relationship with my grandmother, if you give me money, I am going to love you more. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, that was mercenary. It was, but she's dead now, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you seem so chipper about that. Well, they're all in England. They weren't really people. Fair, and they're not listening. No. Well, I hope not. Oh, that's a good point. Otherwise, I'm in for a bumpy night. <laughs> I love you guys. Sucker. Nice try. It's too late. You're done fucked up, son. So, yes. And then up at the $20 level, you get things like, there are other things which I forgot to mention, like ex- exclusive stickers, ringtones. And you also get access to Ian's Smash Hit. 1995 Christian country album, Aware of Wonder. The original digital files. Yes. Not the compromised second draft. <laughs> Uh, you also get uh, sign, and you also get three signed art cards of my night photography. Again, you can find more about that at patreoncom guys. And now it's time for listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. As always, we want to thank everyone who takes the time to reach out to us. We love hearing from you. We love your feedback and your gentle criticisms. <laughs> gentle being the keyword. Kick gloves with Brennan. Oh, yeah. That's, that's why I don't read the email. It's my tender soul. I'm his filter. The thing is, it's it's not that it hurts my feelings. I get mad. I know you do. And then I want to go to their house. and anyways, Yeah, and that's no good. Yeah, it's my Italian blood acting up. Yeah, yeah. And if you do have a story to tell us, the honestly, the best place to send that to, not Facebook, not Instagram, send the story to the email account because Ye- that's where we're really keeping track of Yes, pl- Yeah, please send stories to ghoststoryguys.gmail.com. Um, I know Instagram, I will lose it. Guaranteed well, I will Facebook lose it. Facebook messaging from a page, incredibly unreliable. Um, I just got notification today that someone had messaged us on the 19th. Oh, God. Yeah, no, it's garbage. So... If you want to actually get through to us, hit us up with an email. And now the people who did, in fact, hit us up with emails. They are Jennifer. Hannah. Oliver. Mason. Megan. Catherine. Kaylee. Michaela. Megan. Angela. Benjamin. Rebecca. BJ. Kimberly. Alan. Taya. Jared. Selena. Abby. Chris. Kathy. Rowan. Justin. Emma. Maria. Sierra. Eva. Natalie. Jared. Armando. Oliver, Tessa, Brian, Amber, Lee, Christopher, Teresa, Jose, Angela, Yusuf, Trevor, 
Jody, and Gary. Gary. Whew. That was a lot of people for that's two a, weeks. Yeah, that's a lot of people. That number keeps going up. <laughs> but again, we love it. Thank you so, so much for reaching out and sharing your story, sharing your opinions. It's just nice knowing you're out there. And again, if you want to get in touch, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to do it. You can also find us on Instagram at the ghost story guys and on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghost story guys. As far as things coming up, I was featured on Revelstoke Jim's podcast. Jim was the host of Revelstoke Jim's Canadian content, which was the show that used to air the day before mine on Stoke FM. He's doing more of a digital thing now rather than radio. And when I was in Revelstoke, we had just a very long conversation that he recorded. And so he's turned that into a podcast. You can find it if you search for Revelstoke Jim on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, you'll see it there. And it's just really kind of a wide ranging conversation from how this podcast got started to the dwindling number of strip clubs left in Western Canada. <laughs> um, and if, you, if you're a buff for, you know, Western Canadian stuff, we were talking outside the Starbucks at night, which is right next to the train tracks. And there's a lot of train noise on this thing. So that's funny. It's a fun conversation, but there's a lot of trains. Uh, however, it, it, it's, it's worth listening to. So again, search for Revelstoke Jim, wherever you get your podcasts and you will see that interview there. Now you are doing ghost walks a little bit. Yeah, not much. Um, I'm finding with the chemo drugs, I'm just a lot more tired. Um, right. So working from 8 a.m. to 11:30 p.m. is just not in me anymore. Yeah, go um, shock. Yeah, so I'm doing Thursdays right now. Okay. Um, and that's about it. And I believe through Halloween it will be the same. I'm not going to be doing. You know, like the 11 nights in a row I was doing. I just can't. No, I don't blame you. That's no, insanity. It was, it was killing me. So um, for all those lovely people who want to go on ghost walks, go on ghost walks. The other guides are fantastic. So you're going to get a good experience either way. And Victoria is, you know, as you know, crazy haunted. So um, there's a lot of really good stories. And they can <laughs> book their tickets at ghostlywalks.com? Yeah, ghostlywalks.com, discoverthepast.com. Um, you can even pick what day you want to book your ticket, uh, and it'll give you a little hint about what that walk is all about and you can pay and everything. And then you just show up and give your name. So it's perfect. So again, make sure to check out either ghostlywalks.com or discoverthepast.com If you want to get your tickets to the ghost walks and if you want to see Ian, Thursdays is the night. Exactly. And the Halloween walks, there's going to be four a night for two weeks. Yeah. You guys get crazy. From busy. October 13th to October 31st for a night. Wow. So definitely a good time to go. All right. And now we keep pushing off this draw we're going to do, but the now reason is a good reason for it. There is. Yeah. So the last time we didn't, we hadn't decided yet what the prizes were going to be this time. What we've decided is because we usually do a giveaway on Halloween, we're going to mesh the 500,000 giveaway with the Halloween giveaway and do them all at the end of this month. That way you guys have more time to register because of course we only draw from among our patrons. But we have some great prizes this time around, and uh, quite a few, actually. This time around, we'll be drawing for five digital copies of Vampire Stepdad's The Sun Also Sets album. So cool. Yes, you lucky buggers. I actually had to buy a physical copy. We're also going to be giving away two Vampire Stepdad enamel pins, two Quasar's Arcade enamel pins. Oh, were you taking Nathaniel and Kiki? Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so if you want to own that piece of Ghost Story Guys history... We will be giving away two Quasar's Arcade <laughs> enamel pins. We'll be giving away a copy of Ian's book, Victoria's signed, Most Haunted. Signed. signed, of course. And if my books get here before then, 
Maybe we'll even give away a copy of my book, A Strange Little Place. Woo-hoo. I doubt it will be here because I am in a hell nightmare. <laughs> but because they are becoming rarer than the dinosaurs. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be giving away several t-shirts, including new designs from Bob Vasquez, Matt Swan's fantastic Steve the Cheese Demon, Yay. as well as our classic logos. So there's going to be a, a number of different t-shirts up for grabs. And there's going to be one, one, just one. Ghost Story Guys Clock. Oh, wow. That we will give away. That will be the grand prize this year. Wow, we are like pulling out all the stops for the Th- clock. That's right. We've wow. I've never actually seen one in person. So I you will whoever gets this, you will have seen one before I have. I have seen one. Oh, of course, because you're one friend of our friends. One. Yeah, Evan. Yay, Evan. Evan and Carleen have one. Well, that's great. So, yes. Yeah, so you will be the second person in the world to own a Ghost Story Guys <laughs> clock. As far as we know. Yes. And there may even be more prizes up till then. And it's- a date with Brennan. <laughs> and if you play your cards right, it might have a happy ending. Uh, Mostly what, just for Brennan. I was going to say, is happy ending when I leave early? <laughs> happy it's, for, it's where you actually pick up the check. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> they don't have to watch me eat anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. Jesus. Just kidding. There's no day with Brennan. We there, don't let him out. Yeah, exactly. My, remember, my world is about three city blocks. <laughs> if you want to be in the draw for any of those things, head on over to patreon.com slash guys. If you pledge even at the $1 level, your name goes into the hat to win one of our prizes. And uh, I mean, I want to say your odds are pretty good. We have a lot of prizes and not that many patrons. So make sure to join if you want to win. I'd like to thank this month's musical guest, Vampire Stepdad, for the use of his song, The First Date, from his Love Bites EP. You can find more from him at vampirestepdad.com, and we encourage you to. His stuff is fantastic. Fantastic. Oh. oh. Go home. Now you say, it. you suck. Yeah, you do suck. Ah, like a vampire. Oh. Yeah, I re- got you on that one. I regret my choices. <laughs> I regret every single choice that has led me here. It's <laughs> so many. It really is. The downward spiral of Brennan's store. <laughs> the passion of the store. Oh, Jesus. You, yeah, exactly. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, head on over to VampireStepdad.com if you want to check out his stuff. You can also find him on all the major streaming platforms. And I encourage you to check out more of his music, uh, especially actually his uh, Songs to Haunt a House to, I believe it was called. Oh. That was his release from last year. And it's a lot of very, very creepy ambient music. He's, you know, and the other thing about him, he's a really nice guy. Super cool guy. So that helps. And I think he would appreciate my fangstastic joke. Actually. I have no doubt that he would. He really would. So there you That go. doesn't make it okay. I want to be no, clear. I know, but okay. it's a dad thing. Yes. Yes, it is. I'd also like to thank Peter of Pizzanta Music for our theme song. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. And Peter also helped me with a little side project that I'd like to mention very briefly. That is an album by the Ann Arbor, Michigan-based band Rain is Wet. Rain is Wet was a trio that formed in t- the mid-2000s. They recorded one album, Such a Way to End It, in 2006. But the band broke up before they had a chance to master and finish the album and was never properly released. Well, I happened to meet the singer from Rain is Wet, Travis Roy, the host of the podcast, A Very Broad History of Werewolves and Other Things, became quite fond of the bits I'd heard, and Peter finished the album for them. He remastered it, it sounds fantastic, and then we got it online. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that, because Peter put a lot of hard work into that, and he's done so much for us. You just need to hear more of the man's work. Also, his third lo-fi album, Lo-Fi Evening 3 is available on all the major streaming platforms. And if you want chill-out music, folks, you can't beat the Lo-Fi Evening albums. 
Uh, two is, I think, my favorite, but three is a, is a close runner-up. They're just half an hour of great, relaxing music to study to, to get high to, whatever it is you like to do. Pizzanta Music, his lo-fi evening albums are the way to go. And make sure to check out Rain Is Wet's Such A Way To End It, which is available everywhere you stream your music. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to ghoststoryguys.com and follow the links to our Redbubble and Threadless stores. If you do buy something, make sure to send us a receipt and we'll send you some stickers as a thank you. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps get more eyes on the show and uh, just boosts our profile that much more. Finally, all other music on this show is provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod-safe music for your next creative project, Epidemic Sound is the way to go. You can check them out at epidemicsound.com. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then, into the darkness we go. A couple days I was walking around flexing and yeah, you being know. like, yeah, I fixed that. Yeah, Damn. doing the finger guns thing. Oh, it's, naturally. It's a wonder I'm still married. <laughs> I would never proclaim to be a meme king. <laughs> a meme earl, maybe. A meme earl. I'm, I'm like a, a meme backstairs butler or something. <laughs> yeah, a meme peasant. Yeah, a meme peasant. Meme plebe. <laughs> Apes I drunk. Oh, I can never say that word. <laughs> oh, Aaron D. Simon? Aaron de Simon? Yeah. Okay. The family I worked for lived in a large apartment in the Madeleine Quarter. Eighth. Fuck. Does it really matter? You don't have to say it. Okay. Yep. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Starting with Jennifer, ending fuck, with Gary. That's huge. I get that a lot. I oh. loved, loved the fish tank memes. They are. Oh, shit. <laughs> True. Maybe it's just a great opener. <laughs> Eject. Eject. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Would you say erect what? Yeah, you wish. <laughs>